Hi, welcome back to Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Caraman, uh, joining us for our Sunday show, the last Sunday before the midterms. Um, Michael Zeldin, as usual, former federal prosecutor and uh, the host of the podcast. You want to uh, give it a plug there, Michael. I, I remembered it this week. <laughs> <laughs> the name of the podcast is That Said with Michael Zeldin. And it's on all the usual suspect apps. Wherever fine podcasts are found. And also with us is John Bennett, editor uh, at CQ Row Call and a bon vivant, wonderful uh, uh, <laughs> columnist. And if you haven't read his columns, you should. They're very good. John, Michael, welcome. We're going to talk a little bit this week about the elections, Donald Trump and our favorite Elon Tusk. I mean, Musk. So stick around. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content, not released anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash JATQ podcast. Hi, we're back. It is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam. And joining us again, Michael Zeldin and John Bennett. And I guess, John, let's start out this week with I, I, you said you had a take on it, and I want to start out with Elon Musk taking over Twitter. Uh, how's that? How's that affecting the world of media? How's that affecting the world? Twenty-three percent of Americans use Twitter, according to Pew, the Pew Research Center. This is the 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 biggest coastal nothing burger that I can remember. You know, we we tweet at each other. Um, you know, we're not tweeting. We can pretend we're tweeting for our readers, but I've always said this about some DC journalists. They tweet at each other. They're not tweeting for their readers. They're not doing any public good. Um, so, you know, what are we talking about? A billionaire's doing billionaire things. And I understand free speech. I get all the arguments, but do you think my not so distant relatives in North Carolina give a damn about what Elon Musk did or said he's going to do? I think it's, you know, it's unfortunate. I mean, there were people there were people rooting for for him to lay off half the staff, which he did. Why are we rooting for people to lose their jobs when when we've got a Fed chairman dead set on sending the economy into what might be a deep recession? I just think this this whole thing's gotten completely out of hand. And in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't really matter. Doesn't matter where the pile of shit. I also push back against those who say it's a First Amendment issue because it's not. For it to be a First Amendment private issue, company. yeah, it's a private company. The government, if the government gets involved with stifling your speech, it's a free speech issue. Right. Or if the government were to subsidize uh, Elon Musk's efforts with Twitter, then yes, that could, by extension, could be a First Amendment issue. But it's really just a private company, a bunch of assholes arguing. And I, I would, I would. I, I do think that it's a media company and it needs to be regulated. But at the end of the day, with only 23 million, that's what less than 10% of the people in the United States are on Twitter. Yes. Yeah, so like I think it's much ado about nothing. My, my goal, your take on that. Well, I haven't paid close attention to Elon <laughs> there's, Musk. There's your take. Because <laughs> uh, it, it to, to John's point, it, it doesn't much matter to me because I have a very, nominal presence on Twitter. And I do think that John is right again, that Twitter is about people 
being vitriolic with one another um, and that vitriol gets them eye, uh, eyeballs on, on their personal um, Twitter pages or handles so that they measure their success in life by the number of followers they have. I mean, the whole thing is completely adolescent uh, to me. <laughs> that all that all said, I do think that <laughs> the discussion about whether or not the government should somehow step in and try to curate content on any and on any of these sites, whether it's TikTok because it's owned by the Chinese or uh, Twitter because it's owned by Elon Musk or Facebook because it's owned by whomever. I just have a problem with that. I think that this marketplace of ideas notion that we built ourselves on is important and that the government should not be saying what is and what isn't. If the speech on these sites violates uh, Brandenburg versus Ohio, meaning that it is not protected speech, but rather it is incendiary, immediately dangerous speech, then people can be arrested for it. But if I want to say so-and-so is bad or good um, in whatever language I want to, as long as it doesn't violate um, Brandenburg rules, I, I think I should be allowed to say that and the government should stay out. And yeah, so and that, well, that's we, what interests me more than Elon Musk. Although I wish I bought Tesla stock long ago. <laughs> when you talk about Brandenburg uh, v. Ohio, that's uh, let's elaborate a little bit on that. That's Look, free speech isn't entirely unlimited even in the private sector you as you you know as we all know you cannot walk into a crowded theater and yell fire unless there actually is one and that is where your free speech ends and the government becomes involved and that is i i assume michael what you're talking about well yes so if we want a five minute uh law lesson um the question of speech and whether it's you know sort of free and can't be interfered with by the government or is actionable takes place over a series of cases abrams versus the united states schneck versus the united states brandenburg uh, versus the united states and essentially what these cases say is that if the language creates in oliver wendell holmes's um dissent uh, a clear and present danger, a, an immediate threat of violence. There he is. Let's kill him. It would not be protected speech. There he is. And everything he stands for is bad. And we need to go to the ballot box to defeat him it, it is, it is. Is, is protected stuff. So if you take Brandenburg as a case, Brandenburg was a, a Klansman who was arrested in Ohio for incendiary speech, you know, Ku Klux Klan speech. And the ACLU took the case to the Supreme Court where the court reversed his conviction and said his speech didn't create this imminent threat um, and therefore was protected. And so the question on TikTok and, and um, Twitter and Facebook and the like is, are they creating an imminent threat um, of immediate injury? And if so, they can be, you know, charged with that. And if not, it's just the type of speech that has been taking place in our country throughout our history. I mean, the, 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 if you look at the speeches from way back when, um, in the 1800s, when, you know, so, so the oratory was at its... Um, oh, height, much more fiery. Way more fiery. And, and you know, we survived. Um, the bad period is this 1917 to 1921, where they started jailing people um, for speech, and that's where all these terrible cases, um, Schneck and Abrams, all came, came up. Yeah. yeah, but to your point, that's uh, about incendiary speech brings, of course, into focus January six and Rudy Giuliani saying trial by combat. <laughs> is is that protected speech or is I that? Think, you I think, think that's, that's? Yeah, I think that's protected speech. He, if he says, um, in our country. We're going to have to have trial, <clears throat> excuse me, we're going to have to have trial by combat to change its direction. Of course, that's protected. If he if he says 
there is a person out there in the crowd and points to him and says, and that person is responsible for all of this. Let's show him, you know, what trial by combat means. That's probably not protected because that would put that person in imminent danger. And so, and yeah. That... <laughs> and so, you know, the thing that's ironic to me, Brian, is if, if you were to study this you know, Red Scare period, 1917 to 21, and you see who was arrested and what they were arrested for, and you're progressive, you should be horrified um, because the socialists and the, and the labor leaders and others were progressives were being arrested for things they were saying uh, that were now, that would now be protected. Um, and so for the left to be all in on seditious conspiracy charges right. uh, sort of defies in some sense the logic of the history of the use of the sedition statute, which was always terrible as it pertained to the left. And anyone on the left who wants to expand the use of the Sedition Act of 1918 has a lot to learn from their history or the alien and sedition act and then we can go back to adams but let, let's let's talk a little bit about um let's if i i mentioned january 6 and donald trump um there are rumors out there are there not john and, and you you tell me whether you consider him viable or 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 more bullshit from trump that he's going to declare for the candidacy sometime in the next week or two you think he will I, I I think at this point it would be off brand for him not to do so. <laughs> um, I, I think this has really picked up steam. Uh, I watched part of the rally last night. I, I watched some clips um, from what I missed uh, earlier today. <clears throat> and uh, I can't remember who said it on Meet the Press this morning, but they were certainly right um, that I think it was, it was Chuck Todd, the moderator, said, um, Trump is focused on an election. It's just not the one on Tuesday. So he, <laughs> he's already in full 2024 mode. Um, he and his camp did nothing to knock down uh, that report, New York Times report from earlier this week that he intends to announce, I believe it's uh, Monday, November 14th. So, you know, he didn't come out against it. He didn't call it fake news. He didn't call it a lie. Um, so I got to think right now for my planning purposes and, and, my publication, I'll certainly be suggesting that that we're ready and that, and that we prepare for a Trump announcement on November 14th. I think he's going to get in. The fact that he took a shot at a rally last night at Governor DeSantis, uh, his top Republican rival right now, I called him uh, Ron DeSanctimonious, um, and say <laughs> what you will about these nicknames, but sometimes they fit, sometimes they work, sometimes <laughs> they don't. Um but the fact I won't disagree he, with him being sanctimonious. I, I well, doubt that you will. Like I, Even the Republic, the the Democrats are like that. <laughs> sometimes they fit. I'll just leave it at that. So, um, the fact that he did that last night, I mean, in a swing state that he'll need, uh, he'll need to win Pennsylvania in the primary. He'll need to beat DeSantis there. Um, that means something that Trump did that last night. And yeah, I think he's in. I think he's in soon. I don't think it makes a lot of sense. Uh, Ronna McDaniel made the point this morning, the, the RNC chair, that once Trump declares, they can no longer contribute to his legal defenses. And I, I use defenses because there's at least seven that we know of, I believe. That last count. <laughs> so he can't get that party money anymore to pay his lawyers. So why would he announce next week when he could wait uh, some number of months and, and still A be here? He yeah, and, a year. Right, and still be the front runner. So again, this is some questionable tactics by Trump, but I think he wanted to announce before the midterms. He got talked out of it. The next best time, at least in his mind, is next Monday. So I think it's questionable tactics. Why would I want to pay my legal bills when somebody else could do it? But hey, he's the Donald and he does things his way. And so if he does, in fact, and I will interject here and still say that I don't believe he's going to be on the ballot in uh, November of 2024. I think he's going to run up to the precipice. He's going to grift. He's going to, he could declare, he could and then say, oh, my health is going to keep me from doing it. I can see all of that. But to the point that he does, Michael, what's that? I, I mean, that's got to change how the, or will it change how the Justice Department proceeds in its investigation of Donald Trump? So let me answer 
to respond to something that John said, um, which is a bit ironic, and it's a good segue into your question. John says he's um, uh, rumored to be uh, announcing his run for the presidency on the 14th of the month, which, of course, is the day he's supposed to sit for a deposition before the January 6th <laughs> committee. So rather than testify um, in Congress, he's going to testify, uh, you know, at, at a with a press announcement that he's now Trump. It's classic yeah. Trump. Now he's it now is he's, classic Trump. Now he's candidate Trump. But in respect of the impact of his becoming a candidate now versus um, just a former president, I, I don't think it should have any impact in the short term on the government's um, investigation of him. You just don't get to declare yourself a candidate for the presidency and somehow be absolved of past bad acts, if that's what the Justice Department believes he engaged in. If we fast forward and we're now in 2023 and he's really you know, sort of an, an active candidate and the investigation is ongoing, then maybe the Justice Department has to think about whether it needs to appoint a special counsel to avoid the appearance that the, the Biden Justice Department, especially if Biden announced he's running, the Biden Justice Department is investigating Biden's primary um, opponent. That, that creates the possibility of a bad appearance. But from a legal standpoint, the question of a special counsel or the Justice okay. Department's ability to uh, act, usually it arises in the context of an attorney general having to investigate a sitting president who is his boss. And so you, the thought is you, you, Barr can't investigate Trump because Barr works for Trump. And so you need a special counsel, Mueller, to uh it be in the middle of those two guys. Here we have a Justice Department investigating what is right now just a private citizen. He may have a title of former president, but he is just a private citizen. So I think that they can proceed. They're, look, they're going to be accused of political bad acts no matter what. What they do, right. And, and so, That's typical Trump. And so you just have to suck it up from the Justice Department, not take the bait, and just keep your head down and do your investigation, and, and then and see what the facts and law um, require of you. And uh, Michael, something that you said, and and John putting together something that you said, if in fact Donald Trump does declare for the presidency, and if in fact a special counsel is considered, I would once again say that that would be Donald Trump <laughs> just doing everything he can to delay. <laughs> justice being delivered to his doorstep anything to delay anything to deflect anything to make sure that you string it on and along while he gets to do whatever in hell he wants i mean we saw that in the white house didn't we john yeah i mean that's you know we talked about classic trump there you go so you know declaring could declaring early could could be a a, a way to try to do that to deflect and 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 drag things out because you know he's the candidate. Um, everything that Michael just said. So maybe there is uh, some some strategy that that I haven't. Um, I don't think there's any strategy with Donald <laughs> well, remember, Trump. Remember what a remember what a former uh, White House official uh, told you and I one time. We were asking about Bill strategy. Sean. Yeah, um, <laughs> you're giving us too much credit. Yeah, no strategy. So maybe there's no strategy. <laughs> you know, he, he is kind of a gut player, you know. He sports analogy time, Michael. Get ready. It's uh, <clears throat> Donald Trump is Brett Favre. He's the political Brett Favre. He will see a window, but he's had the, too many blows to the head. <laughs> he'll see the safety. He'll see the safety back there in route, and he'll try to sling it forty yards down the field, and it doesn't always work out. But but just like with Mister Favre, sometimes it does. Yeah. So how, how would you think the next Trump? Uh, well, the next. I think, wait, can I just jump in one second? Yeah. I, I do think I hadn't thought about this and I, I don't um, know it to be true individually, but I take it to be true um, from what John um, 
reports that if, in fact, Trump's declaration somehow capitates his ability to raise money uh, for his own use, Defense. then then that's antithetical to everything Trump, because, you know, he's got lawyers uh, all over the country litigating all sorts of things. And I don't think any of this money is coming from him personally. It's coming from people he's raising money from, yeah. whether it's false pretenses, fundraising or 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 otherwise. And if somehow that stream of revenue is going to come to a close with his declaration of candidacy, and that it may be that he has to actually spend his own money on his own defense, that might give that might be the only thing that causes me to think that might give him some pause. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We know the RNC. We know the RNC would have to turn off the spigot into his legal defenses. But yeah. but but I, I assume he could still raise political money and yeah, he would still continue as he, you know, did this week, send out the uh, uh, emails touting his uh, his wrapping paper, the, his Christmas tree ornaments, his MAGA hats, his wine glasses, his steak boards, his steak knives, his his, uh, Football. his baseballs, footballs, gloves, <laughs> booties, panties, underwear chicken salad <laughs> toast and anything else he can put his fucking name on <laughs> I, yeah in fact i just glanced at my inbox and at the top is a trump fundraising email yeah that's and you know you are one of our trump trump uh, best trump supporters we want you to meet the president at his next rally just okay. send us another 200 dollars. and nobody ever gets this I mean, he, I, I don't know that he's ever made good on any of these things, and I don't know how successful he is, but apparently successful enough that he continues to try yeah. and raise money via the email. And I think that it's it's also delicious that in an era of, you know, this is the season of peace and love, no matter what, you know, religion you're in, he's selling brand, yeah. let's go Brandon wrapping paper. To yeah, you know what, like, can, can I say... Can I say something though? Yeah, which, sure. You know, I'll, I'll say a little bit tongue in cheek, but not completely. Which is, so Trump has avoided so far the former president's route to riches, which is paid speeches. If oh yeah. At, if right. you look at, mm -hmm. you know, the the Clintons or um, Obamas or even Colin Powell uh, when he leaves government. Yep. These guys have made a fortune giving speeches in the U.S. and abroad. Um, I remember at one point Clinton was charging almost a million dollars for uh, a speech uh, overseas. And these guys became all very rich. You know, God bless them. You know, right. that's, that's the American system. So, you know, when you say, well, what's worse, giving a $500,000 speech to some corporate, you know, enterprise or selling a mug um, with your Go MAGA uh, logo on it, you know, you could argue that they're both, they're both pretty seedy. <laughs> well, the thing is, is I don't get, I think I, at one count, I was getting 20 emails a day. It's, it's tapered off to like 18 or 19, but I'm getting emails all the damn time from from uh from the magus guy and uh i don't get that from you know i you can go out and make your speech bill clinton leave me out of it but god bless america i'm tired of the emails begging me for money now let me say trump does it and he does it in his own way but my inbox i missed i manage a couple reporters and i missed an important email last weekend from one of my reporters um about stories that i she needed to tell me something because both sides are sending me so many fundraising emails. Yeah. They're, they're both doing it. They're, they're clearly the same consultants must be talking to both sides and just racking up tons of cash. I went into the wrong business. That's okay. That's, that's my therapist, <laughs> not for this podcast. So um, they both do it. They're inundating us. I can't wait. I can't wait until this election is over.
But as we learned this morning, if you watch that won't stop Trump. (laughs) Oh, it won't stop Trump, but it'll it'll maybe clean up my inbox. (laughs) (laughs) But what we heard this morning from (laughs) Ronna McDaniel, RNC chair, Rick Scott, he's the head of the Republican Senate campaign arm. And we've heard it from others. Ron Johnson yesterday, senator in Wisconsin, who's in an unexpected tough fight. Boy, a lot. Most senators seem to be in an unexpected tough fight. So what what we heard from them is leaving the door open to challenge close races and saying if there's shenanigans or something's kind of problematic, but they get to define what shenanigans are. And McDaniel very carefully and and the way it was worded, it was definitely advice. It was it was a bad signal up to Republican candidates. And my take on this, my read of it is try to take this as far as you can get it in the court system, try to get it to the Supreme Court because we've got six of our own folks on the court right now. And hey, maybe we win, maybe we win three of these, four of these, and maybe we get some seats that if we just left it up to the day, you know, Wednesday, we wouldn't have won. So I think forget election day, forget election night. I think we're in election month. Yeah. Yeah, Well, well, let me just say, John, adding something on the legal side is there, there is a, a case already in the Supreme court and that's on this, um, the powers of the state legislatures right. to control elections without having to be governed by state constitution right. or um, judicial um, decisions. Remember, it came out of, I think, North Carolina, where the court said that the map drawn by the Republican-controlled legislature was... In, unconstitutional in that it de- de- deprived uh, certain groups of their their representational rights in 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 the state and they sued and they basically said under this legislation le- le- supreme legislation theory we don't have to listen to the court or our constitution we just get to do what we want and so that's a case that if it wins really is a is a is a game changer where if the courts can't intervene against unconstitutional behavior by state legislatures whether they're controlled by republicans or democrats it doesn't make a difference the proposition is is terrifying that you have this independent well then we're back to the articles of back to the articles of confederation a weak federal government and states supreme over the federal but, but before we talk election, because I want to spend the next uh, block doing that, there are two last things I want to hit in this one. And one is um, I personally do not think, and Michael and John, you can disagree with me. If, I don't think we're going to see, uh, you had mentioned he's supposed to testify, Trump. I don't think we're ever going to see him in January 6th committee testimony. No. Oh, no, 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 no. Yeah. And I, I, but what I am curious about is Meadows and the Secret Service interviews. And let's just, do you think... Michael, one of the biggest criticisms against um, the DOJ is that there are people who think Merrick Garland, again, is going way too slow. There'll never be an indictment and that the Secret Service interviews before the January 6th committee, uh, Meadows uh, subpoena, all of it means nothing because Merrick Garland won't act. And now, you know him better than any of us, of the three of us. And so do you think Merrick Garland will act? independently of uh, political opinion. I think he is acting. I think it's a mistake to say he isn't acting. And we know he is acting because we see there is activity in this grand jury that's been convened in D.C. where uh, Judge Howell, who oversees the grand jury for for D.C., has repeatedly denied the request of different people who have been test who have been subpoenaed by the Justice Department to assert executive privilege. She has denied that option and is forcing them to testify. We saw the other day that um, Trump acolyte Ash Patel uh, refused to testify in this case, not because of attorney client or executive privilege, but because of Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination. And Howell said, yeah, you know, you have a right of self-incrimination. What you've done implicates uh, criminal bad behavior. And so I'm going to 
immunize you. I'm going to give you a use immunity and you, you can now testify um, because they can't prosecute you Prosecution, for yeah. the words that come out of your mouth. That's the nature of that immunity. Um, although, of course, if he lies, he can be prosecuted for, for lying. And so you've you've seen attorneys from the White House Counsel's Office, Philbin and Cipollone. You've seen people from um, the White Vice former Vice President's Office, Mark Short, and um, uh, Meadows, who are all you know coming are being forced to come in and testify. So there is stuff that's ongoing, and that's way more important from a hold people criminally accountable standpoint than January six, who has no authority to hold anybody criminally accountable. And so I think Brian, in answer to your question, uh, this is ongoing, and I don't think um, it's fair to say. Uh, he's going too slowly. I think he's going um, at, at an appropriate speed, given the complexity of the issues that the possible indictment of a former president and his inner circle of people um, represent. As to the Secret Service, um, January 6th has an interest in finding out what was going on. You know, was it true that Trump was trying to grab the steering wheel, as Cassidy Hutchinson said? Was it true that the Secret Service were trying to get Pence out of the Capitol and he was refusing to go for fear that he would never get back and that would be bad for what he was trying to ensure, which was the orderly transition um, uh, from uh, uh, Trump to, to Biden? That's all relevant in political terms, but that's not relevant uh, to criminal uh, prosecutions necessarily, except that might give you a little bit of state of mind um, evidence. So what's, what's more relevant from the Secret Service is, did they intentionally delete uh, emails and, 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 and texts, then did they lie about it? And, I and so bottom line, you think is Trump, gonna... you, you, do you think that Merrick Garland will end up indicting, the DOJ will end up indicting Donald Trump for anything? I don't know. It's too early um, in when would you, publicly when would you... available. I think that I think that the uh, the the Georgia state case seems to have some legs, and the Mar-a-Lago case around documents could um, have legs in an obstruction of justice um, case, especially if. They get the evidence that they're trying to get from witnesses who move the boxes that we have on video, that they move them from the storage room up to Trump's uh, residence or his office. If that was done, if they can get evidence that, that was done at Trump's request in order to deny um, their existence and claim that everything has been returned that the subpoena asked for, I think that's a very straightforward, that's a very straightforward case. As to January 6th, as to January 6th, I think that there's a, a facial case of uh, conspiracy to uh, interfere with the orderly um, function of government. I don't think there is a seditious conspiracy case. I think that um, is a very complicated uh, case fraught with all sorts of political and First Amendment and other issues. But so in answer to your question, in sum, I think those three cases are viable, but we haven't seen, I haven't seen in public yet the evidence that tells me I would indict on what's um, presently known. Well, okay, but wait a minute, uh, let me push, and, and you clear it up for me, and this is our last stop before we go to break, but um, by law, and I read the statute, those, the the, the, and it doesn't have to be classified material. That material belongs in the National Archives, right, that they confiscated, that all Donald Trump had to do was actually give back to the government when they asked for it. He denied that he had it. He did have it. It's it's by statute belongs to the government in the National Archives. And all he had to do was give it to them, right? He said he didn't have it. Then they executed a search warrant. They found it. He claimed it was then uh, planted by the FBI and then at a rally came out and on tape said, look, it's mine. It's all mine. Give it back. 
to yeah it's mine it's all mine give it to me all he had to do was give it over to the federal government john's laughing but you know and i, he I don't know what else to do I just... yeah i know but it, isn't that like the most cut and dried case i mean if i were the prosecutor i'd indict him i'd show the tape claiming that he owned it when he clearly didn't and let the chips fall where they may is that not actionable what more do you need well so what you're hypothetical here or your reality based um uh, story is um, <laughs> that he failed to return stuff that the presidential records act a non-criminal statute uh effectively uh requires and what i'm saying is yeah you're you're right he had no right to take those documents classified or unclassified they were official documents and he had no right to keep them would I, as a prosecutor, indict him for having those records when he shouldn't have had those records in and of himself? No. Okay. Would I indict him for obstructing my efforts to get them back, knowingly um, hiding those documents from me? Yeah. Okay. And that's what I'm saying is I, so we're on the nice edge of, of the difference between just failure to return. They're mine. They're all mine. I get to keep them. And hey, people who work for me, there's a subpoena out there. They want these documents. Let's hide them. That's a very. Those are two different scenarios. I'm, I haven't seen in public yet. That's a fine line, evidence. my brother. Yeah, 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 that's, but, yeah. But that's what prosecutions rest Always on are, fine yeah. lines because you got to win the case, and then the case has got to be upheld on appeal before you under DOJ guidelines can bring it. There you go. All right. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we had started talking about the elections, <laughs> the midterms, the ones that Donald Trump aren't talking, isn't talking about as he plans and plots for the 2024, but we have midterms coming up on Tuesday. Stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, you, yeah, you. We're talking to you, and we need your help. Seriously. As you probably know, independent journalism is a vital pillar of our democracy. Like everything else, it's not free. We're asking all longtime listeners of the show to help support us by becoming a member on Patreon. For the price of a latte, you can help guard democracy. Join us today at patreon.com slash podcast to help us keep bringing you the podcast you love and the facts you deserve. Hi, we're back. It is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, and with me again, John Bennett from CQ Roll Call, Michael Zeldin, former federal prosecutor uh, and host of the podcast, That Said, so uh, I, that being said, and this is just asked the question, I'm going to just ask the question. I have heard on both sides, and John, I'll let you jump in on this first. I've heard from Republicans and Democrats about how bad we suck at covering the, uh, the current um, wonderful midterm elections. Um, it does seem to be a bit different than other midterm elections. It seems there's more at stake, but we still seem to be covering it as a freaking horse race. Who's on first? What's on second? I don't know. Third base. Uh, what do you think, John? I can tell you there's an election. I visited my uh, mailbox about an hour, hour and a half ago, and there's one. <laughs> there's two. It's an audio medium, I know, but I am holding three. Up flyers for these are local candidates here in, in the district of columbia here's four and i discarded a couple on my way uh back up so elections you just season. made it a visual medium. <laughs> visual medium so um so yeah there's an election and um have how have we done well you know shrinking yeah, john room. i gotta interrupt you one second with all those local things I, i'm on the ballot for re-election as an anc commissioner in uh, in this November's election, I just want you to know I did not mail you anything. <laughs> yeah, it, it oddly it makes me um, maybe not want to vote for these folks, but uh, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, it has the opposite effect. I don't think they thought. And I do have to point out, um, you know, we're all so progressive and 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 climate change and global warming and everything, but we're sending these to everybody. 
you know. Right, right. Hypocrisy. <laughs> hypo- no party owns hypocrisy. They both have some. And I don't know the point of sending me this if the climate, if the planet's melting down. But anyway, that's that's another podcast. How are we doing? Um, you know, we can always do better. Shrinking newsrooms is a problem. Inexperience is a problem. Um, we can all we should always talk to more voters than we do. Um, we over rely on polls. I'm guilty of that this cycle myself. So but, you know, we're all doing we're all doing multiple jobs in the newsrooms these days. Um, reporters at at maybe not my publication, but other publications, um, you know, they, they have to turn out multiple things a day. Uh, we all we all have to keep traffic up. So it's it's more challenging than ever to cover races all over the country. Um, but, you know, that's really one of my main things here is, you know, we can just talk to more voters and, and try to get that in the story and, and not focus on, you know, all the time what a candidate said at this rally and said something a little different when they drove 30 miles at a different rally. Um, one one challenge for us going forward is what I mentioned earlier, Republicans challenging these elections. The media, you know, we, we now, the media, there's the point. The, I'm, I'm going to interrupt you for a second. We, OK, I'm going to make that point. It seems that we are playing into. Yeah, that, that the concept that if they don't win, that there's something wrong with the system and and it's a hoax or. Right. And that's we, what worries me the most. We can't because we're busy and overstressed and trying to do too much. We can't fall into the trap of helping Republicans normalize this. Yes, and and I started to, I've started to see some of that over the last few days. Um, you know, it's one of those things that won't it won't necessarily in every case be our fault. Like I said, we're all doing a lot, um, and and we're doing more and more with smaller and smaller staffs. And I think the Republicans know this. I think they've realized um, that if they just say it enough, you know. And as a reporter, I was a reporter for a very long time. I still report now. And, you know, you cover the same folks over and over. And, yeah, you hear the same stuff. And we're just human. Sometimes you stop paying attention to it. But, you know, voters are hearing it. Donors are hearing it. And I think that's our biggest challenge uh, over the next few weeks is is to point out that this is not normal. Just you can write a straight news story. You can write it in your first take or your second right. take when you put three graphs up on the internet and then you write through it. And as you're adding to it, we need to say that this is not normal. This is new. And, and this is a norm that's teetering and, and we can't, you know, we, we need to be very careful. Well, and, and to that point, and you said it less of an election day and more of an election month, Michael, how real would a threat be of choking the legal system with frivolous complaints of hoax just to slow down the process. I mean, is that a legitimate concern or is that just blue smoke and mirrors? Well, we've already lived through that. Yeah. The challenges to the results of the 2020 election, there were hundreds of, of lawsuits filed. And we know that many of the lawyers who filed those lawsuits are now being sanctioned for filing them because they're frivolous. The system can absorb that. It's not good um, that lawyers file frivolous lawsuits. It's not good that they try to present disinformation uh, leading to there being 38 or more uh, election deniers on ballots across the the, More than 300. More than 300. um, across the country. All of that's bad uh, for democracy. But if the simple question is, can the legal system absorb it? Yeah, as long as you know this powerful legislature um, case isn't decided that weakens the power of the judiciary to intervene in these state cases. I mean, the worst case scenario is you have these uh, and I'll say it in Republican terms because it's principally Republicans. You have these Republican-controlled legislatures um, with election denier secretaries of state. Lawsuits are brought challenging um, the results of these things. The courts say, no, 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 uh, that's a frivolous lawsuit. 
um, and and the Supreme Court has been said, well, the the, the courts can have whatever opinion they want, but this um, legislative powerful theory um, trumps it. That's that's a bad outcome. That's yeah, the, and that's the worst outcome. What what can yeah, and what concerns me the most is that it's always a delay tactic. It's always a it's always pressure to the system, and <clears throat> look. Uh, John, you know as well as I do. We we looking at the polls. I can get you any numbers you want right now. <laughs> I can I can. I've heard briefings where the Democrats think they're going to lose the House and the Senate overwhelmingly. I I I find you know uh, Republicans calling it a crimson or red wave rather disturbing, just for, because it it reminds me of the movie Clueless, and 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 it meant something other than you know an election wow. cycle. So wow. I. Yeah, that one is disturbing on many levels. But um, but the fact that, it, all right, I've heard that. I've heard that it's neck and neck. I've heard that the Republicans are actually losing and the Democrats are actually winning. So pick your poll, pick your poison, pick whoever you want. And I think it's just, to me, it's bullshit in the air and we're not covering the actual issues that, and as Michael pointed out, the actual ramifications of what can happen if you are unhappy about winning and you're a sore loser. I don't know that we've done our job all that well. Yeah, I wanted to to flip it and just ask you the question. Sure. Well, I want to I just hear a little bit more about how you think we should have covered this cycle differently up to this point and and how we should cover because we know it's coming. We know these challenges are coming. How should we? So what have we, how have we done and, and what, how should we handle what's coming? I think we've covered it poorly by covering the horse race aspect of it. Um, I think we've covered it poorly by not outlining the, the actual issues at that are at hand. And Michael was pointing out, we should be pointing out, we should be reporting on what's going to happen if somebody loses, whether it's the right or the left. And you, and you, you make, um, frivolous claims that you know that the count doesn't count and that it only mattered it was only true if you won and i think we need to be pointing out exactly how the the uh these uh elections are covered who volunteers how they are counted and point out the news of the, you know giving voters a background to understand how it happens because many voters right. don't understand how it how it occurs yeah. now or is that as exciting as going, well, latest polls say five points more for uh, Herschel Walker. He's going to win it in a walk. No, it's not anywhere near as exciting as considering the fact that Herschel Walker can claim that he's you know, a Christian while he's uh, paying for abortions or whatever. That th that doesn't have the appeal or the clickbait, but it's the responsible thing to do. Mm -hmm. And I think there could have been, and I'm not saying abandon all of the of this you know of the horse race part of it but eliminate or parry that down to give people good information on how the system works why it, it's secure and and why it's bullshit when when they scream hoax um i don't think we do ever uh, because honestly i don't think we understand it i think there are and i think that many reporters i don't believe that we're tilted right, you know, my feeling, I don't think we're tilted to the right or to the left. I think we're tilted toward money and the large boardrooms are all con concerned about making money. Individual porters may find themselves more in tune with the progressives and the Democrats supposedly. And so they go, they bend over backwards to be uh, more critical or less critical of them. And that doesn't do us any favors either. And there aren't any people in management who really understand how it works either. I can I, I, I can name numerous editors who have no clue as to what the bill what's in the Bill of Rights, much less how an election works. And it, so it, it we need to be far better at covering it, it. It's easy, right? It's easy to cover a horse race. It's yeah. good. well, this is ahead, this is behind, this is the new guy, this is the new poll. Hey, look at this. Oh, by the way, he beat kids. Oh, by the way, he's a pedophile. I mean, all of that's really easy to cover, but it's not doing anybody any favors. So there's yeah, my long-winded answer to that. That's good. I, I I agree with that. And and I think one thing we haven't done is is point out that Republicans have have no they have no plans for what they would do other than investigate right. Biden and his son. Yeah, it was again watching the morning shows this morning, um, and one of the moderators asked—I I apologize, I forget which one—asked maybe Rick Scott or someone, 
what's the first bill that you would try to get through, try to send to the president? And what's the first bill that you would push that you think he would sign? Nothing. No, of course not. What, 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 what legislation? And, you know, start talking about inflation. Okay. What legislation would you introduce the first day of the new session in January? Nothing. So, you know, that hasn't been made clear, I think, to voters. They don't, they don't have any legislation other they'll do messaging bills of course but both sides do that right uh, but actual serious legislation the republicans nada yet they yet they're out they're nothing. out campaigning on the infrastructure bill and most of them voted against right. it and the, right. and the democrats who passed it aren't what you have is marjorie taylor green saying we're going to impeach uh, how many she's got three to six people that they want to impeach if the if the republicans come into power are they going to introduce anything? Like you said, nope. <laughs> no, I mean, they might do. I did some reporting on this last week for a column that will post Tuesday morning on rollcall.com. Um, and what, what folks are telling me is maybe a farm bill, maybe a farm bill next year. Um, and then after that, they'll do an NDAA, the National Defense Authorization Bill. They'll do that late next year. They haven't even done it yet this year. So that always passes for 60-something years. Farm bill, NDAA. And Get rid then, of Medicare and Social Security. <laughs> and But actual serious legislation that, that Biden would sign, farm bill maybe, NDAA for sure, and then it's just some kind of continuing resolution because nobody will want a government shutdown this time next year. So they'll pass that in late September, maybe pass another one right before Christmas of next year, and that's it. So you're looking at maybe three, maybe but probably two serious big bills next year. It's just going to be a lot of noise. And if anybody thinks that that's noise, I will remind you that we spent every week, every damn week of the, of the Trump administration being told it was infrastructure week and nothing ever got done. Not once. Do you remember some of those briefings that Trump would have gotten himself in a pickle or one of his people and they were trying to wiggle out of the out of the corner, not not even sometimes fight out of the corner, just kind of create some space in there so they could punt out of the back of their own end zone. As I mix sports metaphors, um, they'll try <laughs> it at home, kids. And so we would be sitting in the briefing room and out of nowhere, the young press aides would start passing out one pagers. And it's the president's latest infrastructure plan. <laughs> and it never worked. It never worked. It maybe somebody in the 42nd minute of the briefing would say, okay, what's this all about? Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and remember they wouldn't know. <laughs> they handed right. it out and they wouldn't know. As the Bill last, Shine said, right. there's no strategy here, folks. The, <laughs> there was so much, just, there was so much chortling and, you know, again, we're just human and we can only be, you know, you can only try to dupe us so many times until our, our, and we're so exhausted at that point in the administration and the, the term, just the gallows humor in the room and and you know the, those cameras in there those mics are live all the time so that went out the, yes the i know and, and the chuckling and the laughter and they didn't try it again no and and michael so when you take a look at it as, as we come up on the midterm election what do you think is the most important thing that we haven't discussed on the run-up to election i think that the coverage of inflation has been terrible. I remember watching the shows where all was being asked of the guests was, so are we in a recession? So are we, are we in a recession? They just wanted to, to get that label, we're in a recession. They didn't, they didn't have a, an informed conversation about why are prices rising? What about consolidation of corporate ownership? What about price gouging? How is that impacting what the average consumer is feeling versus this abstract um, concept of inflation, which is very hard to explain? And so is corporate consolidation, and so is price gouging. And instead, they just wanted to put a label on it. We're in a recession. What, what does that even mean um, to people? And we're not. Well, the, well, and the job market is still um, strong. And so it, it was for me, the the simplest of 
um, conversations about what is a very important um, issue, um, which is the the pocketbook of of average Americans and their ability to pay for what they need. And I think that the media did a terrible job of that. And I also think that the Democrats didn't um, push back hard enough about why prices are rising is not simply a reflection of interest rates and inflation, but rather these other factors, these other economic factors. COVID and the war in Ukraine. Or Ukraine, but, but, but more the structure of our economy, the consolidation. And I mean, look at the prices um, that, that companies that are in consolidated industries, uh, Procter and Gamble and Kimberly Clark and Chevron and Exxon, they've all like doubled their profits during this period. They'll all say, yep. corporate executives will say inflation is good for us. It gives us cover to raise prices. Um, and I think that that was very poorly covered by the media and not very well articulated by the candidates, maybe because it's too hard to articulate. So then you get stuck into- Or maybe because they're getting union. donations from those corporations through super PACs. But uh, it could it, it it could well be. But then we're back in this horse race uh, conversation that you and um, Brian and you John just just had. It's so much easier. I'm just I'm just expecting you know soon that um, FanDuel and all those um, companies will soon be allowed to take bets on um, the over under in elections <laughs> like they have in England. <laughs> Mean, meanwhile, they cover it, meanwhile they, Pete Rose isn't in the, <laughs> in right. the Hall of meanwhile, Fame. Not, yeah, um, but and Norse Shoeless Joe Jackson. But I yeah. mean, we, we, <laughs> we might we might as well because it's covered in that in that same way. And so maybe yeah. maybe more people will understand what's going on if you say you know the the Georgia Senate race is you know. Three points over under, you know, for so and so, and and then people can figure okay. out, you know, what the hell is going on there. Why not? Why not? Why not? That, well, that would be God bless the best, the, the best inspired idea yet. We're gonna we're gonna take a short break, and when we come back, we'll have a few final thoughts, and uh, we got to ask about the Astros. So stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, Just Ask the Question podcast listeners. If you've got a second, head on over to Twitter and follow our official page, J-A-T-Q podcast. That's J-A-T-Q podcast. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Question's newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not found anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash J-A-T-Q podcast. Hi, we're back. It's Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, and sponsored by FanDuel. We're coming up this week and can bet on the over-under in the coming midterm elections. Who's your candidate and how much you want to put down? Just kidding. But that's a great idea. Michael had talked about last last uh, segment. But let's talk this, uh, as is our won't at the end of each uh, uh, session together. Um, the Astros, in six games, took the, the, <laughs> took the Phillies. Now, I know that's not going to make Joe Biden very happy because she's a big uh, Phillies fan. However, the real question, I guess, is those who claim that the Astros are cheaters, is there an asterisk next to this wonderful uh, win in the World Series? Who wants to who wants to take that one? Uh, from my standpoint, I, I think that they were the best team in baseball this year, and 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 they they proved it. And I think they've also proved that they've got among the best general manager data analytics um, operations in in Major League Baseball. Uh, they're in the playoffs or the World Series six times in the last couple of years or four of the last six years. Um, and that's testament to their to their system as opposed to the Yankees system, 
which has kept them out of the World Series for the last 13 plus years. So, you know, you have to, you have to, whether you like them or not from the past cheating scandal, this was the best, this was the best team in baseball and they showed it. And the only, you know, for me, the only, or the, the most good of it is I like Dusty Baker and I'm glad he, after 20 years of managing, managed a, uh, a, a champion. Yeah. Dusty home run Baker. This go ahead, Mike. I mean, go ahead, John. Yeah, like one thing, like like Michael said, they were clearly the best team. You know, they they caught the Yankees and passed them as far as uh, the best record, um, and they just kept going from there. They were some, they were really a juggernaut in I guess the last half of the season and then in the playoffs. But look, um, the Houston as cheating is bad. Cheating is bad. Bad. Um, they bad. should have been punished more than they were. But look. The Houston Astros are good for baseball because sports needs heels. College football needs Alabama. Uh, the NFL needs the Dallas Cowboys. Baseball needs a bad boy team. They've got it right now with the Astros. I think the Phillies have the potential if the Astros fall off, everybody falls off, has a down year or two. So heels are good. The bad boy teams are good. They make it interesting. Um, especially in the playoffs when when you're looking at a national TV market, um, you need, you know, I might watch a game because I dislike the Cowboys. I don't maybe love the Bills or or um, 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 Tampa Bay or something, whoever Dallas might be playing in the playoffs. I might hate watch the game to root against the Cowboys. So that's why sports needs heels. And that's why right now the, I think the Astros is really good for baseball. They've been struggling with TV ratings for a while. Uh, but this this was an interesting World Series, and and I enjoyed it. And I, I'm I'm sorry there's not a Game Seven tonight. And, and they're hate, that's the same reason why they hate watch uh, Donald Trump. Aha! <laughs> uh -huh. Yes, <laughs> yes. But uh, sports heels uh, don't have the ability to uh, cause a riot at the Capitol or yeah. engage in anti. Good. Well, good. you know, sorry, that's good. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yes, <laughs> that's the difference. Sports yeah. heels good. Political heels. Not uh, so good. Not so good, right? <laughs> what? Well, all right, take me back. We'll finish with football. <laughs> my my uh, my alma mater lost this week to the University of Kentucky at home, uh, University of Missouri. And being from Kentucky and and from Missouri, I can only tell you that the most obnoxious football fan, most obnoxious fans, period, in any sport on the planet, to me, University of Kentucky fans who riot when they win and riot when they lose. And the only way, the only way to tell the difference as to which is which is whether or not they're burning couches or blowing up cars. But uh, that's, that's uh, where but do you it think was, But it was, but it was, a, you know, a, an interesting college football um, Saturday with Very, yeah. number four, yeah. Clemson losing, number six, Alabama losing. Yeah. 16 Illinois losing 20 Syracuse losing number one in some polls Tennessee getting really beaten by um by by Georgia uh so you know the question John becomes who are the who are the top four who's going to the college bowl um you know the the, BCA, the major bowl games yeah the major bowl games. I think Tennessee's laid claim to a lot who's the, who's the top ranked Who's your top four coming? Uh, who's your top four coming out of this weekend? You got to go uh, Georgia one. I think they're the most complete team. Uh, that defense is is one of the best we've seen. It might be better than the national championship defense. And the offense does enough. Uh, my, I don't know if Stetson Bennett is a distant cousin. He might be. Um, you know, he's getting better, better quarterback for the dogs. So I put dogs at uh, Georgia first grudgingly Ohio State uh, at number two um, they're explosive and right now it looks like they're on a collision course with Georgia uh, if they both run the table three again grudgingly got to put Michigan in there but they're going to play Ohio State soon so one of those two will eventually fall out of the top five and four you know I'll do a tie here TCU and Oregon the door is mm. swinging wide open for TCU and Oregon um, but funny thing happens is the schedule gods, not kind to the horn frogs. They have to play Texas Saturday 
And the Longhorns are getting better. They're not getting worse as the season goes on. Sarkeesian's a really good coach. Um, he's starting to put his stamp on that. And as they say on game day, I'm putting TCU on, on major upset alert on Saturday. That's going to be a hell of a game in Austin. And where, Michael, where you, who is your – where, where are you putting I, – I agree with John, but where, where are you putting um, LSU? Um, they're in the top 10. I, I, I haven't, I don't even think they're in the top 10. I would put, they're, they're, they, they were number 10 this week and they just beat number six, Alabama. Yeah. I still don't think they're that good. I think Alabama falter. I'm going to disagree with all of you. I think Tennessee is the team you better watch. And I'm not a volunteer fan, but look at the sec, how strong they got, they got thumped by Joe. I mean, I watch, I just watch, you just watch Tennessee. There's a path. There's a path for Tennessee to get in the playoff through the back door. They'll yep. need a lot of help, and they yep. have to run the table, of course, and they have to look really impressive. They just have to thump teams. Uh, and then Georgia, the Michigan. I'll go Georgia and Michigan, and Alabama's not in there, and maybe Oregon. Ohio State. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's – I you know, I Oregon's still got to play Utah, and then Oregon would have to play a Pac-12 championship game. Yeah. So they've got two two tough games left. They could drop one of those. So then, you know, you look at it. Um, let's say Georgia loses to LSU in the SEC title game, and you're you're then looking at a one loss Tennessee. Do they get in? So, you know, the committee will have some some hard choices. See, I I and and what I LSU over the years, and here's why as a as a longtime SEC football watcher, LSU I've never known them to really the wherewithal all the way through the season. Yeah. That's where are they down the down. And whereas Alabama is a closer, uh, although they falter in Tennessee, I think will be a a better closer than, but we'll see. Well, the team, the team also, I think that's sort of interesting politically and for football reasons is this TCU, which always seems somehow to be on the outside looking in and there's all sorts of you know politics of course that surrounds uh, surrounds this this their the discussion of of them if they were named something different would they be treated uh-huh. different you know it, it, <laughs> right. it's, 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 uh, no but it's i'm not buying into it i'm saying but it's a discussion that always you always hear yeah, well, all I know is Tennessee's going to play my alma mater this Saturday, and I think Missouri's going to get the living shit kicked out of them. <laughs> That's, and, and like I said, I'm not a Tennessee fan, but they they frighten me for many reasons. Anyway, guys. We'll have to see if if um, this TCU is on the outskirts of, of politics. We'll have to wait for Brandeis to get a national championship-level football team and see how they're treated. <laughs> hey, Brigham Young does it. So. Right. All right. The name of the show is Just Ask the Question. Thanks for being with us. I'm your host, Brian Caraman. As always, uh, see, we covered the horse race, but it was in football, not in politics. Join us next week. We'll see you next time. Have a good election day. Everybody get out, vote. Thanks a lot, and we'll catch you next time.